Hallelujah. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord declares, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by whom he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him... You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and which also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's some good stuff. Amen. Glory to God. We're going to have fun today. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your love, for your kindness, Lord God, for your truth that sets us free. And Heavenly Father, today, Lord God, we just pray that you would open our ears, soften our hearts, make us receptive, Lord God, to the riches of your truth that abound in your word. God, change us. Do something deep in our hearts, my God, and I pray that you would be glorified. And I ask you all of this, Lord God, in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand quickly so the ushers can get you an outline. We want to make sure everyone has an outline. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. We see you have a hand over here. Praise the Lord. Keep your hands up as the ushers will come around and get those if you need an outline. Everybody there pretty much either has gone through something that you're doing or 
me grow by meeting with my sisters and brothers and being able to be encouraged and sharpened and even corrected and uh, knowing that they're going to support me and love me in my ups and downs and in how am I getting inspired or touched because I'm not so So the reason why I asked you to raise your hand if you didn't have an outline is because this week we are, re, we, we are relaunching our connect groups. Can we give God a hand of praise for that? Um, I know some of you were really disappointed during the summertime because we weren't getting together and, and, and we all missed each other and it was, yeah, you know, I understand that. But glory to God, we're back, amen? And so we want to make sure, the reason why we um, want, want you to have the outlines is so that way you can be part of the conversation, the preaching and the conversation in your connect group, which is so very important. And so if you are not part of a connect group yet, if you have not signed up, it is not too late. It's never too late, Amen. I'm just saying, it's never too late. We could be in the last connect group, sign up. It doesn't matter, but we're on the first ones. And so um, Pastor Chad is in the back. He's right there raising up Pastor Chad. And if you don't know um, where you would fit in as far as which connect group, you can see him, and he will direct you and get you where you need to go. Amen? And so we are in the book of Ephesians, and we are going to be here for a while. And as I always say when I'm doing a new book series, this is now my favorite book. Amen? Um, as, I, as I go through the scriptures, I mean, Ephesians is just an amazing, powerful book. I'll give you some, some, um, some, some history, some notes on that in your outline there. We'll go through that together in a moment. But I do want to point out that Ephesians chapter 4, just turn your Bible there real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Say Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 are going to be our memory verse. Hallelujah. And so last time we did Galatians, what, 5-1, right? We did one verse, and so now we're going to step it up, right? We're going to do, instead of one verse, we're going to do three verses. And it is because what happens is, in the book of Ephesians, and listen, it, it, it sounds more difficult than what it is. It's all going to flow together. And the reason why is because, again, when we are in a book, I want to make sure that we get the heart of what this series is about or what the book is about. And I, would, and I, and I can't tell you that Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3 are what the whole book is about. But what I can tell you is this, is that as you go through chapters 1 through 3, and you'll see that as we go through this, it is going to communicate some amazing truths to us. You should be, in the next few weeks, as we go through chapters 1 through 3, your faith should be overflowing, like amazingly, right, because of the things that are there. But what's going to happen is when we come to chapter 4, it is when God, like, flips the, the, the switch in this inspiration, writing, you know, in Ephesians, where, where Paul is writing to them, and he says, okay, now I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be excited about who you are and your identity in Christ and knowing all of these things, but I want you to walk worthy. I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so that's why I want us to memorize that because while we are encouraged in our faith, it's not enough, church, for us just to be excited or, or, or even to just fully understand the truths of the gospel on the indicative side. But it's important for us to embrace the fact that those truths should change us in a deep way. 
The truths that we learn, the truths that we will go over in the next few weeks in chapters 1 through 3, they should change us in a way that is overwhelming. And when the result of that should be not that I gain more knowledge alone, not that I have a better understanding alone, but that my life is transformed from knowledge into living it out, right? I go from knowing something to walking in the wisdom of God. And so we want to have that. And so that is my prayer. And so you can start memorizing that next week. We'll start saying it together. We won't start it this week, but next week we'll start doing that. And by the end of Ephesians, I assure you that if you would just do your homework just a little bit, you will have memorized three more verses. So I have motivated you this year to memorize four verses. Praise God. I want to do that. And so looking at Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to go through this. And so just to give you some history here, you can look at your outline and you can read along with me. The book of Ephesians was written around, say around. And the reason why it's around is because we don't know exactly when, but the book of Ephesians was written around 60 to 62 A.D., and it was written by the Apostle Paul. There's never been an argument about who the author was. It is commonly referred to as one of the prison epistles along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, and it is because it was written during his imprisonment in Rome. And here's what I want you to think about for a moment. This is why I made sure I put this in the outline for you. I want you to think about everything that we're going to read together, and I want you to think about how you would have been writing to someone if you were writing from prison. Think about if you would have been as encouraging as you're going to hear him be. Think about if you would have been as excited about the gospel. Mind you, he wasn't in prison because he did anything wrong. He was a prisoner of the Lord. Hello. He says that. He communicates that. He understood this. And so, you know, when I, when I look at the Apostle Paul, last week was probably like the most crazy week for me, right? I, I, I just call it my deductible week, glory to God, because we had some accidents and some things going on. And I can tell you this. If anybody would have asked me to write them a letter out of the depth of my soul, I would have never been this encouraging. And I wasn't in prison. I just had a couple of accidents occur, right? And so the point is that we see the apostle who is motivated by something that is so much greater. And what is that? He is motivated by the revelation of this glorious gospel. He is motivated by the truths that he has come to understand, that he has come to know. Through what? Through the revelation of Jesus unto his life. And the hope that I believe he had was that the church would be encouraged. And the same hope that he had is the hope that I have, that we would be encouraged to know who we are, to really have a solid and profound identity in Christ, not in any man, not in any religion, but in Christ Jesus by what he has done through the glory of the gospel. And so written around 60 to 62 AD, the second thing here that we look at is that the book of the, the book of Ephesians can be broken up into two parts, theological and practical or indicative and imperative. And so the indicatives are simply the things that the gospel communicate for us. The imperatives are the things that the gospel calls us to do. And so when you look at the book of Ephesians, the way that it's broken up is chapters 1 through 3 are a theological indicative containing no commands, just the revelations of what God the Father planned, what God the Son accomplished, and what God the Holy Spirit is bringing to pass. And when you get to chapters 4 through 6, they're a practical imperative calling believers to walk worthy of the revelation in the first three chapters containing clear expectations and commands for all believers who have experienced what chapters 1 through 3 reveal. 
And so what happens is we don't find any commands in the first three chapters, right? But we do come to understand some amazing stuff about what God has done for us, what God declares about us and who God says that we are because of what Jesus has done. And so the title of this series is not just our Ephesians series, but it is Walk Worthy. And so that's what we want to make sure that we do. And so in the book of Ephesians, the last thing you read along with me here, in the book of Ephesians, we will see the Apostle Paul stressing the Christian spiritual blessings in Christ and the need to live a lifestyle that reflects those spiritual blessings. Repeat this after me. Say, in the Father's plans, in the Son's provisions, in the Holy Spirit's present work, we are blessed. In the Father's plan, in the Son's provision, and in the Holy Spirit's present work, you and I are blessed people. I just want you to let that sink in for a moment. God, I mean, we read this, but God had this amazing plan. And in that plan, you were part of it. I firmly believe this. If you're sitting here today hearing this message, guess what? God knew you were going to be sitting here today hearing this message. This could be your first day here or your 50th day here. It doesn't matter. God knew that. And so you are part of this amazing plan that God has. And in that plan, in the Son's provision, and in the Holy Spirit's present work, you and I are blessed. And so the first point of this message is this. Please repeat this after me. Say, the Father's sovereign plan is the source of blessing to all believers. The Father's sovereign plan is the source of blessing to all born-again believers. And so the first thing that you will notice, and we'll just read this because we're going to break this down, you know, verse by verse, and so we'll walk through this. And so we start off in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is why nobody has ever refuted or argued with this partially. And he says, to the saints, say the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing that you will notice is that he is writing to who? The church. And the way that he refers to the church, he refers to the church as saints. That is the word hagios in the Greek, which he is calling them holy ones. And so he uses a second word here, and he is saying what? He is saying in faithful in Christ Jesus. And so when you look at these words together, first of all, when you actually look at the word hagios, it's a Greek word, right? And it comes from the Greek culture. And Paul uses this word. And if you remember, we went through the book of Acts, I believe it was last year. And when we went through the book of Acts, we got to chapter 19, and the apostle Paul arrives at this city called Ephesus right? And when he gets there, he asks these guys, have you received the Spirit? Baptizes them. I believe it was about 12 people there. And the point is that they, there, there was this big temple to the goddess Diana, right? And so they had the, there was this rock that had fallen from heaven, and, you know, they had this whole temple of worship there. And, and what happened was the Greek culture outside of before Christianity, they were using this word hagios. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's important for us to understand the meaning of this word. They were using this word hagios, but it had nothing to do with people who were separated to Jesus, it was a word that was utilized to people like the priest of Diana, right? They were called hagios. The temple was called hagios. And what he was saying was that it was separated for a sacred work. Now, it wasn't a holy work like God in that sense. It was simply a sacred work. So the reason why the apostle Paul refers to these Ephesians is because he is letting them know that because of the redemptive work of Jesus, they had been hagios or they had been separated to God. 
God for his service, for his work. And so what would happen in the Greek culture is that they understood something. Anything that was hagios was not to be utilized in any secular scenario. And so you couldn't use the temple of Diana in the, in the city of Ephesus to go ahead and have a concert in there. Why? Because it was simply a place that was for the worship of a deity. And so that's what that word meant. So when the apostle Paul applies this word hagios to the church, he is communicating to them based on your knowledge of Greek culture, based on your knowledge of what this word is, God says you're hagios. He says, you have been separated for me. You have been separated for my work. You have been separated for my use and my purposes. And so he lets them know that. And then he uses this other word. He says that they are the faithful in Christ. And when we look at that word, I want you to know he wasn't saying that they had done everything that Jesus had wanted them to do yet. That, that isn't what he was saying. What he was saying is the way that that word faithful is used is those who are faithful or trusting in Christ. And so what made them hagios or made them saints was their trust in Jesus because they had put their full faith and their full trust in the Savior, which is what makes them the hagios of God. And so we see this word saints, and it's important. I hope you understand that, that that is what God says about us. The moment that we repent of our sin, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, he calls you a saint. Are you hearing me? This is important because in some traditions, the way that you become a saint is, number one, your character and your conduct have to be above reproach. But the second qualification is you have to be responsible for two miracles. In some traditions, that's the way that someone becomes a saint. That's how someone enters into sainthood is because, man, they looked at their life, their character, everything was above reproach, and then they also did two miracles. And so that would be crazy because... Most of us in here wouldn't, wouldn't be able to qualify for sainthood right now. I'm just saying, right? Like most of us have not. Maybe one miracle, not two. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just assuming maybe, maybe you did work more than two miracles. I don't know. But my point is that is not what makes you a saint in the biblical term. What makes you a saint is the work of Jesus. It is the work of Christ in us. And so he says here, grace to you in verse 2, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first point that I said was that the Father's sovereign plan is the source of blessing to all born-again believers. And the title of this message today is one, and it is, Are You In? Are you in? And you're going to notice, and when I was reading, I tried to emphasize it as much as possible, the in Christ or in him or in the beloved, because the most important question for us is, are we in Christ? I'll ask this at the end, but are you in Christ? I, I didn't say, do you believe some things about Jesus? That's not the question. Did I, I didn't say, do you believe you need to come? I didn't ask that question. I asked the question, are you in Christ? Are you in him? And so the first thing that we see is that God has some plans. Jesus did a work, and the Holy Spirit is working. But in verse 3, we start there. It says, blessed be, say blessed be. He's speaking praises unto God is what he's saying. And so he's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is he blessed, and why should we praise him? Because he has blessed us. He has blessed us. He's bestowed upon us every, say every, not some. He said every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love. And so we realize that God the Father had some plans. That before we were born, before we did anything, before, before anything happened, he had some plans. Verse 5 goes on to say, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by by which he made us accepted in the beloved and so the second thing that we see after we look at what God addresses us as is we see that we should be grateful the word blessing, he's saying, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Praising God the Father who has blessed believers. Our blessing comes from where? God the Father is the source of those blessings. His plans are the source of those blessings. With all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So what does that mean? All spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Does that mean because obviously can you see spiritual things? Can you touch spiritual things? So, so all of a sudden, we might start to think, well, you know, those blessings are intangible blessings, and that's the point that the apostle is trying to make. That's not the point that the apostle is trying to make. Not that those blessings are intangible, because let me ask you a question. What good is a blessing if you can't experience it? If you can't experience it, what good is it? Is it good for now? Is that a trick question? Is it good for now? I'm saying, I, I, I mean, I, I, want, I want to experience blessing now, right? Not later on alone, right? I mean, obviously, we're going to be blessed beyond, you know, measure when we go into the glory of heaven. But presently in this earth, we want to experience some blessing. And so is he saying, hey, man, you got spiritual blessings that you're going to access one day. Is that what he's communicating to us? No, he's not communicating that to us. What he is saying is we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, speaking of a realm where our blessings cannot be destroyed, they cannot be stolen, they cannot be taken away, but a place where our blessings are secure because our blessings, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing where? In heavenly places and where else? In Christ. In Christ. And so what he's saying to us as a church, what he's saying to us as the people of God is that we have received these blessings in heavenly places in a secured realm where they can't be lost. And to make sure that we understand. See, because what God doesn't want for us to do is just for us to quote like one scripture and say, man, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You know what he does? He goes ahead and breaks down what those spiritual blessings are. He makes sure that we understand what those spiritual blessings are. He makes sure that we get it. So there's no question. We can look right at our Bibles and we can figure this thing out. Like how are we blessed? And so the first thing, we already read this so we won't go back through it. But the first thing that we see the Father does, what does he do? It says that he chose us. Say chose us. So what that means is that if you are a child of God today, right, if you are a believer in Jesus, if your life is committed to Christ, what that means is that before you chose him, he chose you. That's awesome, isn't it? What that means is that he didn't just choose you, but it also means I love the one. There's one song that we sing. We don't sing it often, but it's one song, and it says, you won't relent. You won't relent until you have it all. And what I realize is that our God is relentless in his pursuit of us. You know why? Because he chose us. What I realize is that our God, see, that's an awesome thing to know that he chose us. When I think about this, cho this choosing process, think about this for a moment. The other week we were talking about the good news and the bad news of the gospel. And remember when we talked about Jesus being our substitute? And remember what we said about substitutes? Typically, the substitutes are the second string or third string people that come into the game. And, you know, I, I call them scrubs, and I'm sorry if that offended someone. But ultimately, um, the bottom line is they're the people that, you know, they're not the best on the team. But Jesus comes as our substitute. 
substitute the best player on the team to do what? To pay the worst price, to do the thing that we couldn't do in order for us to be saved, right? That's him being relentless in his pursuit of us. But I want you to flip that around for a moment and think about when you were in elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever school, or you hanging out on, 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 on the basketball court somewhere or somewhere and you're waiting to play a pickup game. Hello. And someone's got to choose you. Now, 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 when you get out there on the court, you know what people always do? They are always going to look for the people they know that can play the sport they're playing. Why? Because they want to win. Amen, somebody. Right? I'm just saying. That's what they do. You look out there, you're like, you're playing basketball, you want Pastor Robert on your team, you know he can play. Amen? I'm just saying, if you had to choose between me and Pastor Robert, I'm going to tell you the wise choice. Pick Pastor Robert if you're playing basketball. I'm just saying, that's the wise choice. He's a better basketball player than I am. Now, the point that I'm trying to make is this, is that God didn't choose us because we were so invaluable. Are you hearing me? He didn't choose us because we were so great. As a matter of fact, the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, it says that God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things of this world to confound the strong. And so what God does is he goes and, he's, and he decides and he says he does this for his pleasure. It is within his will. He doesn't make it clear to us how it happens, why it happens. He only makes it clear that he chooses. He's not looking for the best players. That's not it. He chose because he is good, because he is loving, and because because he is gracious. That's what he does. He chooses us. And so when, you, when the word, you look at the word chosen, what it means is he chose us out or he elected us. That's where we get the word or the doctrine of, 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 of election and where God elects us by, to do what? He elects us to be holy and blameless. He elects us to be holy, again, separated from sin. He, he, he elects us, he chooses us to be holy and blameless. And when you look at this word blameless, think about this, Old Testament, when you have to make a sacrifice, what were you doing? You, you brought a sacrifice that was without blemish. That's what it meant to be without blame or, or without, without blemish. It meant to be blameless. <clears throat> and so in our days, we are not, we, we, you and I, because of Jesus, we are able to do what? We are able to be those sacrifices unto God that are offering unto him sacrifices of praise, our lifestyle, not just the words of our lips or the songs that we sing, but the lifestyle that we live without blemish because of what? Because Jesus was the lamb without blemish. Jesus was the lamb that was without blame. And so he calls us, he chooses us for us to be holy and for us to be blameless. So that's the first blessing that we have. Nothing that we did, nothing that we can earn. It's something that he does for us. The second blessing that he talks about is he blessed us by predestining us. Say predestined. And so this word predestined is the word foreordained. Say foreordained. Before the foundation of the world. Before anything happened, God foreordained us to be his. He foreordained us to be his in this thing called adoption. And we've talked about adoption a few different times, and it, is, and it is very simple what God does. I mean, it's amazing, not simple, should I say. It's amazing what he does because he purchases us by his blood, and we'll get into that in our, next, in our next point, but he makes us his children. He doesn't just give us an inheritance. This is the beautiful thing about our God. He doesn't just give us an inheritance in heaven. He doesn't just give us the same name. He literally changes our nature. He puts in us this incorruptible seed of his word. He, play, he regenerates us and gives us new life, and now his divine nature is in operation within us. 
He chose us to be holy and blameless, and he predestines us to do what? To become his sons and his daughters through the form of adoption. See, what we realize is that God does this all for the good pleasure of his will, is what the scriptures said, and to the praise of his glorious grace. And it is by this will and his grace that he has made us acceptable in the beloved, made us acceptable in his presence, made us acceptable to him because of his grace, because of his will, because of his choosing. We, have, we serve an amazing God, don't we? He did that. It's all, it's all him. It's not us. It's all him, and he makes it clear to us. The second thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the son's sacrificial provision is the security of our blessing. The son's sacrificial provision is the security of our blessing. And so let's read down from verse 7 to verse 12, and we'll see what the son does. And it says, in him, speaking of Jesus, and we know this because of the next thing that's, that's communicated, in him we have redemption through his blood. And so redemption is what? Redemption is the buying us back by his blood. He paid the redemption price, right? He liberates us from sin by his blood. And so he redeems us through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and so he forgives. I love this word forgiveness. The word forgiveness, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm pausing here for you, but the word forgive, it, really, it literally means to release from bondage or imprisonment. It means to forgive or pardon one's sins. Listen to this. It means letting them go as if they had never been committed. That's so awesome. He forgives us our sins. He, look, he, he makes it seem as though we have never sinned against him. That is amazing. He doesn't hold things against us the way that we hold things against others. He doesn't keep a record of wrong the way that we do that. He look, the only scars of our sin are the ones that our Savior has in his hands and his feet and his side. Those are the only remembrance of our sin that there are because his blood has cleansed us. And so he says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to what? The riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, again, the father's good pleasure, the son's good pleasure, working together, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And he says in verse 11, he says, in him, we, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined. Again, there's that word predestination. Predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And so when we look at what the Son did, God the Son is responsible for our salvation. He secured our position before God by his death and his resurrection. Because of what Jesus did, we can stand before God the Father. Because of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, because of the redemption price that was paid, we can never do enough to pay for all the sin that we did. We could never do enough to earn a right standing with God the Father. And so Jesus comes and he does that for us. He, he enables us to be able to come into the glorious presence of our heavenly father and so the son redeemed us the son forgave us the next thing i love this and we see this in verses 8 through 11 the son enlightened us to his will 
He manifested his will unto us. He opened our eyes so that we could come to know his will. Which, what is his will? It is that God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Hello? It is that God doesn't want us to perish in our sin. God does not rejoice in people going to hell for eternity. God doesn't rejoice in that. He came and he died in our place. He he lived this perfect and holy life. And that way he could liberate us so we could pay this great price. And he illuminates and opens our eyes and enables us to repent of our sin and enables us to trust in him. He shows us who he is. And then the fourth thing that we see here that the son son does in verse 11 is he enriched us with what? With a glorious inheritance. With an inheritance that we will experience in, in the ages to come. But we begin to experience some of those amazing things now. And again, you look at verse 12, and he says this, that, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And so what should happen is our lives, as a result of our trust in Jesus, we should bring praise. We should bring glory, not only in our lips and our lifestyles. Remember, um, Jesus is speaking about letting our good works be done before men so that way they would be able to what? Praise our Heavenly Father. Our lifestyles should do what? They should bring praise unto the Father. They should be praise unto the Son. And so the third thing that we'll look at here, or should I say this, God the Son wrote, I love this quote. I I read this and I got to share this with you. God the Son wrote us into his will. Then he came and died to enact his will. Then he rose from the dead to ensure as our advocate that everything within the will was executed. See, because I can write my will all day long, but as long as I'm alive, guess what? That will doesn't make a difference. I could show everyone, hey, man, my daughter gets this, my wife gets this, and it doesn't matter as long as I'm alive. So what Jesus does, the Bible says that the word was with God and the word was God, right? John chapter 1. And so God writes us into his will. And then God the Son comes to the earth and he dies to make sure that that will is enacted. And then he rises again to say, you know what, I'm not going to leave it up to someone else to try to figure this out. But I'm going to rise up and I will be their advocate. Hello. And I will make sure that everything that is written in my will, in my testament for them that they get, that's the God that we serve. That's the son that we trust in. The third thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say the Holy Spirit, his personal work is the seal of our blessing. The Holy Spirit's personal work is the seal of our blessing. His personal work is what seals it all. And so we'll look at verses 13 through 14, and look what it says here. It says, in him, speaking of Jesus again, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Say sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so he tells them here, in conjunction, what we see here is in conjunction with the Father's foreordained plan and the Son's sacrificial provision, the Holy Spirit seals us by coming to dwell within us. 
He comes to dwell in us. That, listen, think about that for a moment. That God worked out all of these things according to his plans and his purpose. When I think about this, God decided that he was going to do everything that he's done. And I'm talking about from the beginning of creation all the way until today. All of the things that, he done, that he's done. We see throughout scripture the redemptive history being, being unfolded where God is coming in the form of his son and dies in our place. And then Jesus comes and resurrects and he sends us this comforter. He sends us the Holy Spirit to do what? To guide us into all truth, to lead us, to bring to remembrance. Like when we're reading our Bibles and God is speaking to us through his word. And then what happens is later on, the Holy Spirit is there to do what? To remind us of what God commands, to show us what God requires, to remind us of what God has declared over our lives. And so he does this and he comes and he seals us. But how does he do this? Look at verse 13. It says, in him you trusted. Look what he says. He says, after, say after. You heard the word of truth, comma, the gospel of your salvation. Now, please stick with me for a moment because this becomes so important. All of the things that we're talking about that I, I don't know if you're getting excited about it. I'm, I know I'm excited about it. But the point of the matter is that when I'm looking at all of the things that Jesus did, look, none of this. Pastor Robert said earlier when he, was, when he was up here exhorting the church, and he said, you can't have more of God, right? If what? If you don't have Jesus, you can't. And here's the thing, you will never have Jesus if you have not heard and believed the gospel. If you have not heard and believed the truth of the word of God, which teaches us what? Look, we've gone through the bad news and the good news that man what? That we are born into sin, that God is a good, gracious, loving God, that we are all born into sin. We all have a sin problem. We are separated from God because of our sin. As a result, we have a death problem. And so we have these issues that separate us from God. And then something amazing happens. Jesus comes and dies in our place so that way we don't have to experience experience God's wrath, but we can experience all of the spiritual blessings that Paul is speaking about here. And God addresses our death problem, our sin problem, our good works problem. He addresses all of those problems and he gives us this new identity in Jesus. He calls us what? Saints. He calls us sons. If you and I are sons of God, then what that means is that, or daughters of the king, then what that means is that we are his holy ones. We are separated. He gives us his new identity. I just, wrote, I, I just read it to you a moment ago. Forgiveness, he acts as though we never committed a sin against him. Because of Jesus. And you know what? The Ephesians heard the Apostle Paul. And let me tell you something. If you want to talk about a blessed church, I mean, these people, the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul pastored them for three years by himself. Amen. That is awesome. He was there with them, speaking into their lives, communicating the truths of the word of God to them. He says that he was doing it day and night with tears running down his face. He was, he was making sure they were solid and they were rooted in what? In the truths of the gospel. When he communicated the truth to them, when he communicated their need for Jesus, they didn't say, man, I don't need Jesus, I'm okay. They didn't say, well, yeah, you know, we'll just add Jesus to our little religious trunk, hello. No, they said, you know what? We need this Savior. We need this God. We need this Deliverer. And they trusted Jesus with all of their heart. And the verse goes on to say, and they trusted, and, and, and also you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so when we look at this reference to being sealed, I mean, you've seen in the book of Revelation where it talks about the seven seals, right? And you see something there that the scroll couldn't be opened because the seal was there. And so there was only one person who could do that, and who was that? That was Jesus. 
Jesus was the only one who had the authority to open those seals in the book of Revelation. And so when we look at this reference to seals, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, it is a seal that would have been put upon a letter or a contract or a document. And what it did was it, it was placing that letter or that document under the authority of whoever seal it was. And so whoever sealed it, if you had a letter that was coming from the king, guess what you bore? You bore the weight of the king because of that seal. Whatever was said inside that letter, that is what was going to happen. That was what was going to occur. And all of that kingdom or all of that person's authority was behind you because of that seal. And so what God does is he seals us. Is that not awesome? He seals us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and seals us. So what does this seal mean? Well, first of all, this seal shows a finished transaction. Say finished transaction. What this seal, when, listen, when someone writes a letter, they don't seal it until what? It's done. Hello? I'm just saying, they don't seal it until the, until the letter is finished. And so when the letter is finished, when the document is written, when the transaction is done, that's when they say, okay, we're going to seal this thing because the deal is done. And so the first thing that we realize is that the sealing of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives means that it is a finished work. When Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, he meant it. Right? And so the first thing we realize is that it's a finished work. God has done something. That, there's no more that can be added to the work of Christ. You can't add or take away from it. It is done according to the scripture, not according to me, y'all. Listen, this is what the Bible teaches, this sealing that comes into our lives. That's the first thing. The second thing is the seal also shows authenticity. And so the seal shows that they, they, they know, okay, this is really his seal. That's really the king's seal. That really, that, that really is from him. And so you know what? When we, this is what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans. I think it's chapter 8 or, yeah, chapter 8 and verse 9. It says this. It says that if we do not have the spirit of God, we are none of his. Are you hearing me? And so if we don't have the spirit of God in us, then we don't belong to him. And, and what happens is there's a lack of authenticity. But when the spirit of God dwells in you, when the spirit of God lives in your life, when the spirit of God is, is moving and active and you're in a relationship with God, his spirit, when, when that is occurring, that is a sign of authenticity in your life that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It also shows ownership. That's amazing. It shows, the seal shows who owns that letter, right? And so you know what the seal shows? The seal of the Holy Ghost shows who you belong to. Hello. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to that one or this one. You belong to Jesus. Hello. Because the Holy Spirit comes as a result to show that he owns you. And so as, as the person who owns you, and listen, you're not just a piece of property, but the point is, is that he purchased you, all right? He bought you with his blood, and he made provision for you to be his son and his daughter. And so there is some, you know, there's this transaction that takes place, but he shows that he owns us in the work of salvation. He owns us. And so as, and, and the, the, this, this, this is why you want to be owned by God. Because when he owns you, he keeps you. When he owns you, he keeps you. When he owns you, he protects you. When he owns you, he provides for you. When he owns you, he directs your steps. See, when he owns you, you are his, and that is what you want. You want him to own you. You want him to be the Lord. That's what it means to be the Adonai of your life, to be the Lord, the sovereign, the ruler, the reigner, the one who rules and sits on the throne. He's not the co-pilot. He's the pilot of your life. See, you want him to be that because when he is the one that owns, he is the one that takes care of what he owns. Glory to God. And you see, I may fall short taking care of my wife. I may die. But guess what? He won't. 
I may, listen, things may happen, but nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, right? And so he promises. And so when he says that he seals us, Jesus said, man, I will not lose anything that the Father gave me. That's what he said. And what he's talking about, he's not talking about just some gravel, hello. He's not talking about some plants somewhere. He's talking about us, glory to God. He's talking about his sheep. He's talking about those who have responded in faith to him. And so he's saying, you are, we, 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 we have been sealed with the Spirit of God the same way that these letters have. And so all of the authority, all of that provision, all of that protection, all of that security, all of those things are with us. Amen. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 14 and he says this. Who is the guarantee? Say guarantee. guarantee. Some of your Bibles may say earnest. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's us, purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. The word guarantee what that word means is it means down payment or earnest deposit. It means that what it's talking about there is it's saying the down payment to guarantee the final purchase of some commodity or piece of property. So what God does is he deposits his Holy Spirit in our lives. And what he's saying is, if my spirit is in you, I'm coming back for you. If my spirit is in you, you can trust me that I'm going to get you to where I need to get you. Hello. If my spirit is in you, I am there with you. He's saying there's a down payment that was made. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And so listen, how many of y'all make a down payment on something and walk away on it? Right? I'm just giving my money away and up, whatever. I don't need that because that money don't matter, right? I'm just I know I ain't balling like that. Anything I put my money in, I'm going back for, glory to God. Or I'm trying to get a refund. I'm just saying, one of the two. Right, yo, check this out. I decided I don't want to buy that, but can I get a refund? I mean, let me check the receipt. Like, what's the, what's the protocol here, glory to God? Let me get something back. Okay, so the point is, right, none of us do that. None of us make a deposit, right, and then say, oh, I don't need that. None of us. You think that God is any better than us? You think that God is any more faithful than we are? Listen, he signed the contract in his own blood. That's what he did. He signed this contract in his own blood for us. So what he does is the Holy Spirit comes as this deposit into our lives. And if we will walk with him, then we are going to experience the benefit of what? That future inheritance. When he comes and, and where we no longer struggle with sorrow, heartache, heartbreak, where we, don't no, we no longer struggle and battle against sin and demons and any of those things, where we are, are totally liberated from all of the evil influences that are the result of sin and we experience him in his fullness and in his glory. He promises that that is going to happen because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you one more thing that this word guarantee means. Because it does not just mean down payment or earnest deposit, but it also means an engagement ring. Now think about this. In the Greek culture right now, that same word in the Greek would be utilized as an engagement ring. Now listen, I know this much. When I, when I got engaged, glory to God, I could not announce that I was going to get married until the engagement ring was on my wife's finger. Hello, somebody. Some wise woman told her, you better get that ring first. Don't let them tell you that because you ain't going to get a ring. I'm just saying. I don't know who that wise woman was, but amen. Right? And so I remember working overtime, double time, all kind of time, glory to God, to get that. And that ring cost me glory to his name, right? And it was worth every penny and more. I would have done it ten times over. I'm just saying. But the point of the matter is, 
when I put that ring on her finger, you can guarantee we won't get together. Amen. See, y'all went in the flesh right there. That was, that was not, that was not where, I was, where I was at either. Amen. It was a guarantee when I put that ring on her finger. Listen, I'm committed to you, and we're going to do this thing. Hello. We are going to get married. There's no question about this. I done paid for this. You ain't throwing, don't throw it out the window. Hello. <laughs> don't get mad at me and be like, ah, the engagement's over. The devil is a liar. Hello. They tried that one time. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I paid too much, glory to God, for that <laughs> ring. Right? Listen. <laughs> said, hold on. The devil is a liar up in this piece. Listen. God the Father paid an amazing price to engage us, amen, to, to connect us as his bride and say, listen, I'm engaged, I'm betrothed, I'm committed to you, you are mine, I am yours. That's what he says. All that I have is yours. That's what this inheritance is about. And he's saying, listen, I have deposited my spirit in you. I put the engagement ring on your spirit, and I am going to get my purchased possession at some point in time. All you have to do is believe and trust what I've communicated. So the closing question is, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you're excited for the right reason. If you're not, you can be excited with us. But you have to turn from your sin. Listen, this is all beautiful because it's the glory of the gospel. It's the indicatives of the gospel. It's the communicated truths that God says, listen, this is what I've done. But here's the thing. You have to hear the truth. Believe the truth, trust in the truth before the truth matters. And so listen, if you are his prized possession today, then you rejoice rightfully. But if you are not his today, God calls you to turn from your sin. God calls you to turn to the Savior, Jesus, himself. He calls you to turn away from the sin that you're living in. He calls you to turn away from the things that have you bound. And he calls you to repent of sin. He calls you to give your heart to him. That's what he says. And so if you don't know him today, if he is not the Lord of your life, if he is not Savior of your life, then I, I challenge you, I call you, I beg you, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And if he is yours and you're his today, then I encourage you to rejoice. Rejoice in the wonder of your Savior. Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads with me. And grab your neighbor's hand, and we're just going to pray together.